we're going to get we're going to get right into it this morning. Uh, if you're new today or haven't been in for a few weeks, we are doing a series this summer called Sunday School Stories, where we uh, examine some of maybe the more familiar stories in the Bible and really just take one aspect of the story and hone in on it because. With all these stories, there's so many truths, so many good things that we could talk about. And we're going to do that this morning as well with Daniel in the lion's den, um, which for, for this story especially, I'm going to give you all the ending um, right away, or at least the, the point of this whole thing right away. This is not a story about how to survive a lion's den, ultimately, you know, a lion's den, you know, not, not literally, but figuratively in our lives. But it's, this is a story where we're going to talk about ultimately trust. And who do we trust? What do we trust? Do we trust that God is God and God is who he says he is? Or do we trust the world and everything else in it? And what I want to do as we examine Daniel specifically and his example to us is go back a chapter. I love doing this with, with pretty much every story that, that we discuss uh, here on Sundays is to look at the context around it and what led, uh, in this case, Daniel to get to the point where he was at with facing this lion's den. So let's look. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning, but you know what? This is church. That's okay. Um, What better time to do that? So let's look in Daniel chapter 5, starting in verse 1, with another really cool story. This one uh, you might not be as familiar with. Um, We're going to look at it and how it leads into chapter 6. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God, in Jerusalem, and the kings and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Okay, so do y'all see what is happening here? This king is taking these gold cups that were before him taken from the house of God. Remember, if you, if you go back and, and uh, listen to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we talked about a few weeks ago, we discussed this, where they have taken the gold cups out of the house of God and put it in their own uh, treasury house. And so what the king is doing here is he is drinking from these cups that were in the house of God. He's getting drunk uh, while doing this, and he is worshiping his own gods. Like, this is bold, y'all. Like, do you realize the arrogance and the pride that is happening here? That, that how, what this king is doing and the behavior, the, the really just uh, turning his nose up to God in this, shrinking God down, this is, this is major. All right, and so this is the Lord's response, right? In verse six, or sorry, verse five, it says, suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. Hello, how's that for a response? The king himself saw the hand as it wrote and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear. He becomes like a cartoon character, right? And his legs gave way beneath him. So he basically just gave out, right? The king shouted for the enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But when all the king's wise men had come in, none of them could read the writing or tell him what it meant. So the king grew even more alarmed and his face turned pale. His nobles too were shaken. All right, so let's skip down to verse 13. 
What happens in between here is someone says, hey, there's this guy, Daniel. He knows uh, how to do all these things. He's really powerful in, in um, interpreting dreams and whatnot. So they call Daniel, and it says in verse 13, so Daniel was brought in before the king. The king asked him, are you Daniel, one of the exiles brought from Judah by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? I have heard that you have the spirit of the lowercase g gods within you, and then you are filled with insight, understanding, and wisdom. My wise men and enchanters have tried to read the words on the wall and tell me their meaning, but they cannot do it. I am told that you can give the interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read these words and tell me their meaning, you will be clothed in purple robes of royal honor, and you will have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. So this king is praising Daniel. He's saying, I hear you're awesome. I hear you can do all of these things. This is the king telling Daniel this. We feel pretty good, right? Verse 17, let's skip down there. It says, Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts or give them to someone else because I'm not interested in those things. But I will tell you what the writing means. Your majesty, the most high God, capital G, gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that people of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill and spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor and disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, this is when this happens, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal, and he lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned that the most high uppercase G God rules over the kingdom of the world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. You are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself. For you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising lowercase g gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. But you have not honored the uppercase G God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. So here's, here's what I want to take from this as we talk about this story. As Daniel goes to the king, we need to understand that this was not a visit that was one, in terms of for Daniel, one of flattery, right? It did not give Daniel validation. It did not give Daniel an increased sense of identity in who he was because of the king. It did not give him extra security, right? What it was was a visit of rebuke. He went to rebuke the king because of how the king dishonored God. It was not about the king praising him, okay? It was not about the king praising Daniel and Daniel all of a sudden being puffed up and feeling really good about himself, feeling validated because this king that didn't worship God was telling him how awesome he was, all right? So let's just pause for a second and understand this position that Daniel is in and the position that we are in all the time. And I just want to ask us this question. Where are we getting our validation from? If we are called into the king's room and we are praised over and over about how good we are and how all of a sudden we get a purple robe put on us and we get third in command of an entire kingdom and Daniel can say, keep all that. 
I don't want all that. I don't need all that. Thanks for the praise, but I'm going to tell you something. You are in error. Daniel is able to do this and speak this way and reject the gifts of the king because he's validated by one person and one person only. He is secure by one person and one person only. He is, he is secure in all those things. His identity comes from one thing, and that is the Lord God on high. Not a king. But listen, y'all, do we live that way? If, let's be real honest with ourselves. Let's be real honest with ourselves. Where are we looking for validation? Where are we looking for identity and security? Daniel is in the presence of the king, seeing him face to face. Where else could he get more security than that? One place. And so as the king is praising him, telling him how, how he's heard all these things about him, Daniel's going, you can keep all that. You can keep those praises. Because you've been wrong. You have been fixated on lowercase g gods that, in Daniel's words, say, can neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. But you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. Y'all, how are we honoring God in our actions every day, the God who controls our destiny? Or how are we seeking after him? How are we trusting him? Daniel, in this moment, in this moment where he is in front of a king, is saying, I don't trust you. I trust God. It's major. It's incredible. He tells the king, listen, listen, he cared more about your gods than the God. What he's saying is, look, you've got it backwards. You've got it backwards. You've cared more about your lowercase g gods than the God. And I, I really want to ask us all this morning, I think it's an important question to ask. If you're honest with yourself and you look at your life and you look at where you put your time and your energy and your efforts, do we have it backwards? Let's really ask ourselves that this morning. Do we have it backwards? Are we trusting the things of this world? Are we going after being validated by humans and, and other people in our lives more than we are the Lord God Almighty. Listen to what happens next. David's able to uh, tell him what the writings mean. Basically, he says in short, we're not going to read it, but he says your, your kingdom's going to be divided. Your time is up. You're going to die. That's it. And so what happens in verse 29 of Daniel chapter 5, it says, Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes. A gold chain was hung around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night... Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Okay, so Daniel does this work, right? He impresses the king. He does exactly what the king asks him to do. And what happens? He's got the purple robe on. He's got the gold chain, right? He's kind of looking like he should have gone to the 80s party this past Thursday night. If you know, you know. Um, and he's, he's promoted a third in command third in command, the entire kingdom. It's a good place to be, right? Daniel can probably just breathe a sigh of relief. He has that security now. Whew, I'm going to be okay. Third highest command. The king likes me. He knows me. And what happens? The king's dead. Like literally later that day. Later that day, the king is killed and a new king comes in. Here's what I want to say, y'all, about that. When we put our trust 
and the things of this world, we are building our life on sand because the world is sand. It is sand, it is sand, it is sand. There's always going to be something else. We think when we put our trust in other people and in this world that we've got it made, something is going to happen. Something is going to happen that shuffles the deck. And we have to figure out what we are going to do. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So when we hear Jesus' teachings, and we, when we don't listen to them, we don't obey them, we're saying, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to put my trust over here. I'm going to put my trust in this because I get this validation. I get this identity here. I, get, I feel the sense of security here. And so I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. I'm going to build my house on sand. And if Daniel had gone into the king's court or room or whatever he was, and said, oh, I got to impress the king because everything's about the king. What would, how, would he, how would he have felt later that night when the king was dead? Do you know what? Daniel wasn't moved at all because though that earthly king died, his king was absolutely alive. And when we put our trust in God, we are putting our trust in the God who never dies, who never fails, who is always with us, who never gives up on us, who never leaves us, who can provide for us in every situation. There is no one or nothing else that can do that. But sometimes we get it backwards. Sometimes we put all of our energy into something that will fail us, something that can die, something that doesn't have all the resources, something that will collapse because it's built on sand. And do we have it backwards, y'all? In our lives, do we have it backwards? All right, so Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. All right, so the king appoints high officers over all the provinces of the, of the kingdom, and then he appoints Daniel over those high officers. So Daniel is above the high officers. He's got a good gig here, right? He is a big deal. And in verse 3, it says, soon, uh, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. I want to talk this morning about Daniel's testimony. Like when I read over this story, what stuck out to me more than, more than the lion's den and all those things, it was what people said about Daniel. Like his testimony is powerful. Let's look at this again, y'all. It says that he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy in how he worked. In other words, his work ethic mirrored his faith. They were one and the same. 
So when other guys who were jealous of him and trying to take his job, right, went after him searching for dirt, they could find nothing. Because how he worked mirrored his faith. And so again, asking all the fun questions this morning. What is our testimony? Like what, is our, what are people saying about us when they go looking for dirt in our lives? What is our testimony? Will they say that we were faithful, completely trustworthy, always responsible in everything we did? Does how we live our life mirror our faith? The way we get to that point, y'all, and I'm not trying to condemn anybody here, or make any, any of us feel bad because we all, have, we all have our things. But how we get to this place, like Daniel is right here, is by putting all of our trust in the Lord. It's the only way that we can have a testimony like his, where we find our identity and our validation and our security in the Lord and the Lord alone. And when we do that, our testimony will become like that of Daniel's. And maybe as you sit here and hear that question, it might, you're like, gosh, it's not even close to that. I can start today. I can start today. Goes on to say, so they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down, as usual, in his upstairs room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. Okay, question. Why did these officials know to go to Daniel's house? Okay, the law is signed, it's put into effect, and their first response is, let's go to Daniel's house. Why? Because Daniel's testimony is that he was a man who faithfully sought after the Lord. And it's as if they already knew that this law was not going to stop him. That's his testimony. That is what others, even, even y'all, his enemies, his enemies knew that this was going to happen. If they didn't think that, why would they even bother going to his house? If Daniel was wishy-washy in his walk with the Lord, and maybe I'll serve him sometimes, and maybe not others, then this law would have stopped him. But they knew the second that the king signed this law, let's go to his house because we know that this guy Daniel is going to continue to pray to God. And we've got him. That's his testimony. That's his testimony. He is faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy in his work ethic. And when it comes to the Lord, as usual, as he had always done, he prayed to the Lord. As usual, as he had always done, 
The world did not deter him. His eyes weren't fixed on the king and the empire that he served, but on the king of heaven and earth. And what was his prayer? His prayer was thanksgiving and asking God for help. Something along the lines of, God, I'm so grateful that you are God. Will you help me in this time? Will you protect me over these next 30 days? Because I will not stop seeking you. I will not stop getting on my knees and praying to you because you are God. And that's where I get my security. And that's where I get my validation. And that's where my identity is. And so I will continue to seek after you no matter what the law says. I will not be deterred. Now, Daniel didn't know the end of this story. He didn't know. What he knew was that God was sovereign. If that meant him going into a lion's den and getting eaten, then that's what he would do. But in the meantime, he was going to pray for God's help. And that's exactly what he did. Verse 12. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Do you, did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, That man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of his predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. So what we have here is a couple things. One... The king is now praying for Daniel, which is incredible. But what we see here, too, is a continued uh, evidence of Daniel's testimony. He has the king saying, whom you serve faithfully. The king knows it. He said, man, this law didn't even stop you. You are faithful to your God. You are faithful to your God. I want to say this to all of us in here. People are watching. People are watching you. When you say that, you know, I go to church and, you know, or, you know I'm a Christian and I, I believe in Jesus and all these things, the antenna goes up, the eyes are open, and they are watching you, all of us. Your spouse is watching you. Your family is watching you. Your friends are watching you. Your coworkers are watching you. And some of them are watching to see you in hope, waiting that, that you'll fail. So that they can be justified in how they live their life. But some of them are watching in hopes that you are what your faith says you are. Because they are desperately looking for truth as well. But as people look at us, and we are... Christ's ambassadors in their life, right? It's a pretty polarizing reaction. Most will either want us to fail or want us to succeed. There's going to be very few that are kind of 
in the middle, just like, ah, whatever, I don't really care. Most are looking for one or the other. But trust me when I say they're watching. And so for those of us that, you know, work in a job with other people, we have coworkers, does our faith show in how we work? Do we let those, do we let language slip out every once in a while or laugh at the dirty joke or flirt with someone of the opposite sex even though we're married? We let those little things go. Or is our testimony one like Daniel? Say we're faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy in all that we do. Might it isolate us a little bit from sitting at the cool table in the cafeteria at work? Maybe. But where are we getting our validation from? Where is our identity coming from? Where is our security coming from? Is it being popular at work? Or is it knowing that God has us? So we trust in him. And all those other things will fall into place, however they may. Now, people are watching. The king was watching Daniel. And he had a hope to the point that he was actually praying for Daniel, that he would survive the night. It says in verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully, there it is again, able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Listen, I love what it says here in, this, in, in these few verses where Daniel says, for I have been found innocent in his sight. Why, is God, why does Daniel say that? Because he knows that God is the judge. He might have been thrown in the lion's den, but God is the judge. He said, I trusted in the Lord. I put my hope in him. I put my security in him. I put everything that I am in him. That's why when you signed that law, I did as usual, as I had always done, and I got on my knees and I continued to pray to God because I trusted him more than any law that you could sign that told me not to do that. So I just chilled with some lions. We had a good time. We played Uno. It was great. You might say, well, maybe they just weren't hungry. I'm not going to read it, but... Um, they were hungry because the king realized that these other officials were basically manipulated him. And so he throws them in and they like didn't even hit the den floor. They were torn to pieces. Like those lions were super hungry. All right. But Daniel wasn't on their menu. All right. I guess he didn't, uh, didn't have that taste or whatever uh, that they were looking for. One day I'm going to tell you all this story of lions at the zoo. 
that Jesse always makes fun of me about, Talon, but it's not for today, but it just, I just remembered it, and uh, one day I'm going to tell you all it's really cool. Uh, but lions are awesome. Okay. Uh, we were at the zoo one day. This was like not that long ago. Maybe the last time we went, or a couple times ago. And when I go to the zoo, my first thought is, when can we leave? All right? I'm ready to go. Because uh, most of the time, it's like 8,000 degrees there. And all our girls want is a snack, right? So it's like we drove all the way here for a slushy. Like we could have gotten that at the gas station two blocks away. Um, and so it came to that point in the day, my favorite part, when it was we were leaving, right? And on the, where we were at in the park, on the way out, we passed the lions. And there's two, there's two places you can watch from. One's you kind of overlook them a little bit, and it's cool. But if you've been to the zoo many times, the lions don't do anything, right? They're just laying there. They're just asleep. And it's, it's really weird because there's like zebras right next to them. You think they would be at the fence, like just frothing at the mouth, like just let me have one of those zebras, right? Um, they're just laying there. They just lay there all the time. And so I'm always mad at the lions when I go, like, could you do something? Like, these annual passes weren't free, all right? Give me something. Hate this place. Let's go home. And all of a sudden, I'm holding our youngest, and I'm like, beeline, right? Like, thank you, Jesus. We're about to get in the AC. We're going to be home. It's going to be great. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I heard what's like, it sounded like subwoofers just, and I didn't know what it was. I, I literally thought that someone was just playing it like over the, the PA system, right? And as we get closer, I'm like, lions. And I don't know if I was in front of Jesse or behind her or what, but I just remember I didn't say anything. I just, um, there, there's a viewing window like of plexiglass that you can go and look at them. There's water and then them. And I just did a total 90 degree turn, left turn, and just went straight up to the plexiglass. Like all of a sudden I was seven years old. I'm holding Ellie. She's freaking out. There's this lion like staring right at me and two other people that had cameras there, which I still don't understand why people bring cameras to the zoo. They're captive. It's not like a, whatever, you know, you're not on a safari in Africa. Okay. Like whatever. You go to the pet store and take pictures there too. It doesn't matter. And, but they're there. Like, what did you just accomplish with that picture? Um, I'm sorry if that's you. It's just me. I have a bad attitude at the zoo. Forgive me. All right. My, my attitude is, does not reflect my work ethic as well. You see my holes. But anyway, so we get to this plexiglass. It's me and two other people with cameras. Like, whatever. Um, and this lion is staring at us. And it's just got, it's not like a loud growl, but it's just, and it to the point where it was like shaking. And I'm holding Ellie who I'm on the verge of tears because she's freaking out. I don't care. I'm being a terrible parent. Like, <laughs> This is awesome. Like, finally, something happened. And in that moment, I realized the power and the strength of these animals to the point where he wasn't even roaring. It was like he was just clearing his throat, right? Maybe he's looking at me and like, you're my next zebra. I know how you feel about this place. I mean, let me just clear my throat a little bit to get ready for lunch. And it was, it was I, this is the truth, it was so like deep and powerful that I, I, honest to God, I started thinking, okay, if this thing gets out, I'm jumping in the water. I, I start making like an exit plan for this, this, this 
lion attack that's about to happen to me, right? As I'm holding my daughter, right? Never could just leave. You could just, you just walk away. It was like, it wasn't that. It was like, I'm going to see how long this takes before he stops. And then if he gets out, I'm jumping in the water, all right? That was my master plan because lions don't like water, all right? But I say all of that to tell you that lions are gnarly, right? They are powerful beasts. They're powerful. And Daniel just says, God, I trust you. I'm going to go to you for help. I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to go to you for help. Instead of going to this king that really likes me, I could have said, hey, you know, king, this is what happened. This is, can we work out something? Can I do it maybe in, in a different place where no one can find me? Can I work out some deal? Can I put my trust in you, low, uh, lowercase k, king? Is that right? Yeah, thank you. He doesn't do that. He goes home as usual, as he's always done. And he gives thanks and he asks God for help. Even though it means quite possibly being torn to bits by these powerful animals. Daniel's testimony is that he trusted God in all that he did. What is our testimony, y'all? Do we have it backwards? Do we have it backwards? I'm going to look in, uh, let's have the band come back up. Actually, hold on, y'all, y'all wait a second. Uh, sorry. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. says, Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus talking, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and your, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and yet your, heaven, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But here it is, y'all. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Why do I read that? What Jesus is saying is, trust me. Trust me. I know what you need. I know what you need. If you trust me, you're not going to go hungry. If you trust me, you're going to have clothes to wear. But instead of seeking out all these other things and putting uh, you know, all your worry and all your stresses and all your anxiety and all that other stuff, seek me. Seek my kingdom. And then all of these things will be given to you. But seek me. Trust me. Build your house on me. And when the storms come, when the wind beats against your house, Jesus isn't saying those things aren't going to happen. He doesn't say if you build your house on rock, it's going to be paradise all the time. He said, no, when the storms come, when the floodwaters rise, when the wind beats against your house, 
it won't be moved. When the king signs that law into effect that you're going to be thrown into the lion's den, build your house on me. Seek after me. Be faithful in seeking after me. And all these things will be added unto you. But seek my kingdom. Don't get it backwards. Don't build your house on sand and the things of this world. I got you. I got you. All right, now we're going to have the band come back up. Today we're taking communion. I think it's a great day to do it. It's always a, a great, great Sunday to do it, but today especially. Why we take communion here at Beaches Chapel is because Jesus tells us to in his word. When he said the last supper, he says, here is my body, gives them bread. He says, here is his wine, which is my blood. He says, take these in remembrance of me and what I did for you. And I want to read exactly what Jesus did for us as we prepare for communion this morning. If you didn't get a cup, you can go to the back and grab one now. And I encourage you to start opening it now because it takes about an hour to do so. <laughs> you might have to repent before you actually get to receiving the bread or whatever this thing is called that they'd probably eat in outer space. Sorry. <clears throat> it says in Matthew 27, starting in verse 35, talking of Jesus, after they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. People passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down now from the cross, let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted again and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart. As we you know, gather here this morning, talk about trusting in God, Every week, we sing the songs about it. The reason we are so able to talk about these things is because Jesus proved his love and concern for us on the cross. He didn't just say, trust me, I got it. And then he went along with his life and his business and just bolted back up to heaven. He said, trust me, I got you. 
and I'm going to show you why you can trust me. Because as those soldiers and the people passing by spit on me and mock me, I'm not going to say a word. I'm not going to get off of this cross. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to hang here as the son of God who has all the power in the world to get off in this moment. I'm going to stay and I'm going to prove my love for you. And I'm going to die for you. Daniel didn't have that privilege. And as great as Daniel's testimony was, Daniel could not save himself. He was not perfect. It took God closing the mouths of the lions to save Daniel's life. And y'all, as great as our testimony might be, as hard as we might try to be faithful, to be always responsible, to be completely trustworthy in our own doing, we can't do it. We can't save ourselves. We don't have what it takes. But praise God, Jesus did. He said, I have what it takes and I'm gonna prove my love for you so that you can always look to the cross and know that you can trust me. Know that you're gonna be secure in me. Max Licato says in one of his devotionals, if you struggle with validation, you're always looking for that pat on the back, all you need to know is that Jesus died for you. He thought enough of you to stay on the cross. And if this morning, if you've been trying to go at it all on your own, you've been seeking security and validation and identity from all the other things, now is your moment to stop. Stop trying to impress all the people around you. Stop trying to figure it out yourself. Stop trying to get salvation through your own doing and say, I trust in you, Jesus. When you could have gotten off the cross, you stayed. You stayed and you gave up your spirit. You surrendered your spirit. It wasn't taken from you. You gave it up for me. I want to invite you this morning, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, to trust in him today. And for those of us in here this morning that reflect on our, our own testimony, what others might say about me, when people go digging for dirt on us, and you're sitting there going, Please, no one asked me that. Which, by the way, you're going to be in good company. I want to invite you to today. Today. Make that decision to be like Daniel. And have your work ethic and even your social ethic mirror your faith in Jesus. There are, there are people that are watching that are just hoping beyond hope you are who you say you are, that your life mirrors your faith because they want it desperately. They want it desperately. For those that are rooting against you, who cares? Prove them wrong. Prove them wrong. But for all of us, let's decide today if we've been putting our trust in anything else, ourselves or other people, Let's put our trust in Jesus. Because he died on the cross for us to trust him. So don't worry about anything. Seek me. Seek me. Seek me. Seek me. I've proven my love for you. So, Father, oh, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice.
thank you that you proved your love for us and that we can look to the cross all day, every day and be reminded that we can trust in you. You did the work. And Father, I just, I pray right now against any spirit of condemnation or guilt or shame as we study this story of a very high bar in the life of Daniel. God, if there's any of us in here, myself included, that just need to tweak things and take things a little more seriously, God, in our walk with you, that you would just close our mouths when there's opportunity to say things that aren't of you. Open our mouths when there's opportunities to share about you. God, don't let, don't let us be deterred by the world when it comes to seeking you. Don't let us run to any person or thing to be validated or to get our identity from or to find security in God when we have you all the time for all of those things and more. God, let us learn to trust you more. God, let us learn to trust you more days where we have to take that step into whatever lion's den it is for us. Help us to trust you more, God. And Lord, I know, I know that as we do, you are going to show yourself to be a faithful God because your word says it. Because you proved it on the cross. Right now, Jesus, we're obedient to your word and to your command that says to remember what you did for us, that we would never forget, that we would never take it for granted that the Son of God died for us. When all the other lowercase g gods can't do anything, don't hear anything, don't know anything, you, creator of heaven and earth, died for us. Thank you, Jesus. So Father, right now we take this bread, remembering your body that was broken and beaten and abused, nailed to a cross, on display for all to see. You were spit on, you were mocked. You were alone in more pain than we could ever imagine. And you stayed. Thank you for your body that was broken for us, taking our place, taking that pain from us and putting it on you. We take this bread now, Jesus, remembering your sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your blood that was poured out for us. Your blood that makes us new every single day. God, as we talked about not wanting anyone in here to feel condemned or ashamed or anything like that, God, we don't. And we don't because we're not supposed to. We don't because your blood washes us clean of all those things. Your mercies are never ending, God. They're new every morning. I pray that as we take this cup in just a moment, we would be washed clean. We would be washed clean. And we would leave here free of any guilt, any shame, any condemnation of anything, Lord, that's related to this message or not. You would make us clean this morning. And Jesus, for those that haven't 
ask you to be their Savior right now in this moment. Pray that they would, in their own words, invite you in to be their Savior. And that as they take this cup, they would know that they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Hallelujah. It's not about what we do, it's about what you've done. Thank you for this holy moment, Lord. Thank you for your blood that was poured out for us. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the cup. Thank you, Lord. I just want to encourage all of us as we enter into this new week. Let's create a new testimony. Let's continue to build off the one that you've already have. And let's trust in the Lord for whatever we're facing, whatever you're going through. Let's trust in the Lord. Pray to him. As usual, as you've always done, continue to pray to the Lord. Thanksgiving and asking for help. That's what I'm challenging all of us to this week. If you've been praying, continue to. If you haven't, start and let your prayers be prayers of thanksgiving and asking God for help. It's really that simple. Thank you, Jesus. We serve a faithful God, y'all. We serve a strong God. We serve a God that we can trust. So let's do it. Let's trust in him. Let's not just talk about it on Sundays. Let's just not just worship out on Sundays. Let's live it and see how he comes through in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand up and let's worship.